Hello, hello. Welcome to Words and Voices, a little sanctuary, a quiet nook where you'll hear hard, raw, and humbling conversations with some of the best humans elevating humanity. This is for the round pegs and square holes, the misfits, oddballs, weirdos, tinkerers, and thinkers who dig a simple philosophy that one word, one message, one idea, and one voice can change the world. So, without further ado, here's our chief mischief maker, Neelam Tawar. Hello, hello, it's Neelam Tawar. I hope you guys are doing awesome. Uh, welcome to Words and Voices. And today I have James P.M. Gaffney here, who is a brilliant mind when it comes to brand consulting and building a presence in the digital world. But that's not the reason why he's on our show. He has an amazing and compelling story. And you guys know that when I invite anybody on the show, it's all about who they are versus what they do. In this episode, we're going to be discussing James's views on small-mindedness in a world where we have access to everyone's thoughts. It's one of those things that he finds downright offensive, and he is known to be really sharp-witted. If you ever go look him up online, you will see he has a very specific way he does things. And for someone like me, who has a dry sense of humor and appreciates his viewpoints, I just wait for him to post stuff and I just cackle every time he says anything in the best way possible, of course. And in this episode, he also covers why he feels humanity isn't really going south and how algorithms are wired to hit our base instincts. And my favorite thing he talks about in this part one episode of two is how to parent during this post-pandemic time because there's so much polarity and division at the moment. How are we going to raise more resilient kids? And James has something to say about that, obviously. Listen, you can look him up online. His website is jamespmgaffney.com. We have it in the show notes as well. Look him up. You will not be disappointed. You will love his thoughts. And if you're checking him out, let me know what you think as well. He is the dude, and I am stoked to have him here. Without further ado, here's James and me in part one of our conversation. Enjoy. Hey, James, welcome to Words and Voices. Hey, Neelam. Thank you for having me. I'm excited. I'm excited too. We've been orbiting in each other's spaces for a little while now, and we have a few things in common, don't we? Yes, I think we do. I think we do. Yeah, but you do. Uh, so- oh, go ahead. I'm sorry. No, 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 go ahead. We, that's what's going to happen on this, this recording. <laughs> I, I have a tendency to start talking when other people are still trying to finish their sentences. Yeah, it's the Asperger's in me. It has a tendency to talk over folks. I think I might have some sort of uh, strain of that as well. I don't know why. I think a lot of people do, especially a lot of entrepreneurs and business people, and especially solopreneurs and people that run small agencies. I think there are a lot more neurodivergence in entrepreneurship than people want to admit. Yeah. Well, but then and- again, what's the baseline? You know, that's, that's <laughs> the hard part is, is what is a normally functioning brain? Right. I don't think any of us really have it. There you go. That's another thing we have in common. We don't have normally functioning brains. <laughs> We really don't. And the last time you and I were speaking about things, we were talking about how like we're such strange, weird people. And we were talking about also this idea that it's it's really tough to be weird. But I think that there's a higher propensity to acceptance now than there has been maybe in the past. Right. I think so. And, and especially, you know, um, it, it's funny. We talk about autism and all that stuff and neurodivergence. I mean, that's such a new diagnosis really in the grand scheme of medical industry and all that stuff and it's so hard to to again to quantify that I mean, what is not weird you know weird is such a subjective thing 
Um, what's weird to me is not weird to other people and vice versa. So I guess other people would label me as weird. I just label me as Jimbo. Yeah. <laughs> I was used to calling you Jimmy in my head as well. <laughs> yes, yes. It's, it's okay. You can call me Jimmy. That's fine. There's actually only one person in the world that I allow to call me Jimmy, and that's my oldest friend. That's right. I didn't know that. I don't know why. I just always in my head, it was always that. Like, because I think we also share a similar sense of humor. Mm. And <laughs> it's borderline offensive if you don't know us, right? Because yeah. I don't know about you because I mean you do really you do a fantastic job when you're online and the way you communicate I think it's okay but I also look at the thread of comments and I'm just like that person got offended yeah yeah but everybody gets offended for different reasons you know the things I get offended by are it's crazy honestly I'm actually I'm not really sure and that's that's something I was talking to my wife about the other day I'm not really sure I've ever been literally offended by anything on Facebook or social media. I'm not sure. And, and now that I think about it, I'm not really sure what would offend me other than small mindedness. I think small mindedness is pretty offensive, but for the most part, yeah, people going to people and who am I to get offended by people peopling? Do you think though we're stepping into like really interesting territory these days? Because I think people are, are keyboard warrioring and I feel like people are looking for things to get offended at, I think, because it almost seems like we're waiting to see a divergent viewpoint that we're like, that's fundamentally wrong. Yeah. And get into these battles. And I feel like it's happening more and more these days because there's so much polarization in many, many things, right from politics to the way people live and to how they view the world. And I think technology is probably enabling some of that, don't you think? I think so. I think really it's more the ubiquity of access that's giving us this impression that people are getting more offended or looking for more things to be offended by. Now, it used to be back in the day, and really not that far back in the day, 10, 15 years ago, you didn't have access to everybody's thoughts. But now everybody has a platform, everybody has a voice, and everybody's going to say something. And I'm not really sure that things have gotten worse. You know, it, there's this this concept that the world has gotten more dangerous and, you know, kids can't play outside after dark and that sort of stuff. But by rule of math, things have gotten safer. Things have gotten better. But there's this feeling that things are worse. And I'm not really sure that they are. Again, I think it's just the access to information and the access to, you know, seeing people's thoughts as much as we do. Now, I kind of miss the back in the day when, you know, the only people's thoughts you really heard or understood were people that you were in physical contact with or, you know, with within their presence. You know, you'd pick up a newspaper and read it. It's But now you can go on Facebook and see 58 million different points of view and, and different opinions and people getting butt hurt. It used to be that people's butt hurt was safe for at home. Now it's all over the place. You know, everybody, everybody's got a billboard and we're all kind of forced to look at everybody's billboards. I'm not sure that humanity has gone downhill or have gotten more touchy or more easily offended. I think it's just that we all have access to everybody now and we've got to filter out people. And that's a hard thing to do when you're talking at mass quantity. You know, it used to be our circles were 15, 20 people. Now there are thousands of people. And I think just by the the very rule of math, you know, you get a thousand people in a room, you're going to have at least a hundred of them. They're going to be pant loads. No matter how hard you try to filter them up front, it's 
you know, just by mathematics alone, you're going to wind up with some some assholes. Can I can I curse on this? I wasn't. Yeah, sure yeah, you can. Absolutely. Okay, I, I sure. <laughs> yeah, you can. I mean, everybody who comes on here is fairly vocal, so <laughs> absolutely. Okay, good. Okay. <laughs> you can be yourself for sure. Yeah, I should have asked that up front, but I really believe that it's a problem of access and not really a problem of humanity at this point. Yeah, because everyone's getting inundated and we're listening to every person's point of view. And I think what's also happening is the friendships are getting affected and people are taking extreme viewpoints of, oh, I can't associate with this person because they don't believe in this one cause or whatever that X is and that factoring. And I wonder if maybe down the road, we might be isolating ourselves as well because we now then start hanging out with people or around people or be in communities that are too much of who we are or what we believe in. And I struggle with that part just only because I think it's healthy to have, I I have friends on the other side of the political debate or they, they have a nine to five or they're highly creative or they're doing different things, right? Like I'm sure you have this too, where your network is so widespread because of the, I think it's for me, it's widespread because I'm interested in so many things. So (laughs) I'm in that Facebook group I told you about, which is just focused on black books. And then I have one for faulty towers. And then (laughs) there's just one, which is all about shit posting on another like British sitcom. But it's fun because, you know, it's it's so hyper-focused on a certain thing. And there I'm not too concerned because people are getting, it's a quirk, it's a funny thing that everybody finds funny and we go in there and, and create fun memes. And, you know, just we play with the dialogues we remember from the show and things like that, right? Like, it, it's a relief for me. But I worry that, like, when it comes to the bigger things, like when we talk about our values and things like that, and yes, you should always be careful who you surround yourself with, absolutely. But then what about that divergent viewpoint, right? Like that one person who's actually probably not speaking the loudest, but probably does more research than I do and probably has more stats than I do, I guess. I'm going maybe in some situations by hunch. And then trying to be good all the time as well, right? Like even goodness seems to be an agenda these days. Right. Kindness. Right, but you have to be good in the right way. You know, you can't just be good. You have to be good and good in this political realm and good in the spiritual realm and good in this, you know, your chakras have to be cleansed and all that stuff. Or you're I didn't do that. It. I didn't do that today, James. Uh, yeah, yeah, I have. <laughs> I didn't, I didn't cleanse my chakras today. So should we, should we just take a yeah. pause? I take a shower, but, you know, I got to <laughs> wait till later to charge my butthole in the sunlight. <laughs> The the other thing is, too, is, you know, we've got these, I I hate to keep going back to math or or kind of cold science stuff, you know, the algorithms, Mm. you know, the algorithms are meant to show us things that we like. And then I think that there's also a part of the algorithm that is there simply to put things in front of us that they know we'll argue with. Yeah. Um, You know, for engagement sake and for time on platform sake. And so we do, we wind up, I think just by mathematical default, again, we wind up with people around us that are close enough on the surface that the algorithm picks them up and puts them in front of us more often. But the problem with the algorithm is it doesn't take into account the personality. It doesn't take into account real style. It doesn't, again, it's mathematical, so it leaves out the human element. And so we wind up with these people who are, you know, mathematically matched to us, but they're not. Say, I like punk rock music, right? My definition of punk music is very, very different than somebody who's, you know, 30 years old, as opposed to I'm 50. Somebody who's 30, punk music to them is a very, very different thing. But the algorithm will put us together because we're both like punk music. 
And those people can be worlds away from what I feel is punk music, but the math of it all says that we should be very compatible. The truth is we're not. I mean, it's, you know, again, like you said, political stuff, emotional stuff, uh, relational stuff, societal stuff, we could be worlds apart, but because we put down that we like punk music, all of a sudden we should be best friends. And the, the algorithm serves us all this content from these people who are, you know, really not compatible other than we said we like punk music. It reminds me of when I used to be on match.com. It reminds oh. me of that. It's exactly the same. It's exactly the same. And you don't know until you actually sit down and talk with these people face-to-face or Zoom or you know, even um, somewhat within chat. You, know, you don't really know these people and you don't really understand that, that you are so far apart because, again, surface level, yeah, we're all terribly compatible. Once you get to know this person, not so much. So how does that work for a parent? You know, as a parent, when... I know you're a parent, so I'm asking the question from that angle as well. How do we raise kids in a time like this where there is so much nuance and bifurcation and sub-categorization of who, what, how um, we interact with one another? That's one thing, like obviously social media, like how are they communicating on there? But the second part is like, as parents, we're, I mean, I'm not a parent, but as a parent, you're also looking at who do you want your kids to be around? How is that coming into play at the moment? Because kids don't know the difference, right? But you're watching this and you're like, I don't know if I want them to be here. Like, I don't want, I, I don't know if I would want them to have exposure to this or that. How does that work? It's called being a parent. Um, <laughs> it, it really is. And, and again, this is one of those things that has gone on since time immemorial. You have to spend time with your children. You have to talk to them. You have to treat them like humans. You have to understand them. You have to see what they're doing and guide them. You know, you can't, it's, it's kind of, you send your kids to school to be parented in a lot of respects, and it doesn't work that way. If you're involved with your children, and That's if your right. children know you're involved, and if your children know you care, they'll listen, and they pick up so much by osmosis. If you set the right example, if you talk to them, if you actually involve yourself in their decision-making and allow them to be involved in the decision-making, it all works. You know, I've, I've got five kids. My eldest is 25. My youngest is seven and they're all, you know, the youngest isn't really online, but they're all pretty much online and they all have relationships online and, and that sort of stuff. But we've done a good enough job with parenting that they will come to us and ask us questions. And that allows us to, you know, kind of interject our wisdom and our experience in there and not necessarily to guide them, but to just give them the, the tools that they need to guide themselves. But that takes a lot of work. It does. It, it takes a lot of involvement. It takes a lot of thought. It takes a lot of care. And some people just don't do that. And I'm not, you know, certainly don't want to indict all parents. And I would never say that, you know, most people don't do this because that's simply not true. But, you know, again, I think it's just, it's being involved in your child's life outside of that. You know, if all you ever do is come in and say, hey, you can't be hanging out on that website with those people, they're not going to listen to you. You know, if, however, you've developed a good relationship with them, a good rapport, and you talk a lot, they'll listen to you. Even if it's not immediately, they will listen and they, they pick things up and eventually they'll, they figure it out themselves. But again, it takes a lot of work, takes a lot of involvement, and some people just aren't willing to do that. Yeah. And I think we might unfortunately get into that cycle and that pattern of creating a disjointed communication flow and, you know, just propagate the same thing that, that has been going on, right? 
with yeah. certain things at least. I'm not going to name them at the moment, but this is the point of naming them. I was going to say something like just off the cuff, but it's not even worth going there. But I think <laughs> one of the, yeah, I was like, it's just going to sound so wrong. But one of the things I find really interesting, I mean, for me, you're very interesting in that even when we first met, I felt like, well, online, of course, we were in a, in a group together. And I was like, he got my joke. And and, and I just genuinely like people with a dry, drier sense of humor because I think I have one too. And if you don't know me well enough, you, you just probably think I'm a, I'm a, a dick. Or, yeah, I'm yep, a dick yep. or something. Yeah. <laughs> You're like, what <laughs> did she just say? And especially when it's these communities, right? Because I think... The one we met in is obviously an exception because of the person who leads it. But otherwise, if I was in a normal forum, like one of those Facebook groups or something like that, I know if I said something the way I would say it and I would write it, I'm definitely going to come across as someone who is very elitist or something weird like that, for sure. For sure. But I think for me, that interaction, that initial interaction always stood out. And then when we spoke, one of the things I found fascinating too was that, you know, we were talking about disabilities, learning disabilities and how they impact us, because I do think I might have one, right? Like I can read. And we were talking about this whole thing around, like, I was telling you that I cannot read a book out loud, or I can also not sometimes read off of a teleprompter. I cannot, I don't even think I can emote off of a teleprompter if they gave me a speech. Do you know what I mean? No, honestly, if I ever had a teleprompter at a speech, it would drive me insane. And the speech would be the worst speech I've ever given. And we discussed this last time, you know, it's, it's off the cuff stuff. I know what I'm talking about. And if I give a speech, I damn know, I better know what I'm talking about. I don't need a, you know, otherwise, why not just record a YouTube video and hand it to everybody? You know, read a script, record a YouTube video and hand it to everybody. Correct. Um, you know, people, if, you know, when I teach and, and I've taught before, I haven't done it in quite a while, but when I've taught or, or given speeches, I do prepare, but it's bullet points. And then those bullet points get put in my pocket and I stand up and say my piece because that's just how my brain works. Then again, we're talking about the the brain stuff and neurodivergence and and all that. If it works for people, if if reading off teleprompter works for you, that's great. I certainly wouldn't denigrate anybody for being that way. It's just not for me. Me neither. I just can't think if I have to read. No. And I think that that's, you know, going back to how we met and, you know, the dry sense of humor and things that you can't say in certain Facebook groups or in certain circles and that, that sort of thing. I, I've really never been all that concerned with that because I don't need that many friends. You know, I don't need a list of 5,000 people who are that I'm intimately close with. I can't handle it. Mentally can't handle it. And, and I don't think that I'm the exception there. I think that, that that's pretty much the rule with a lot of people. You know, we're, I think as humans, we're built to interact with very small tribe. And so for me, I take that as a license to just say whatever the fuck I want to say, because the people who don't get it are never going to get it anyway. And I don't have any business hanging out with them or selling products to them or going into business with them. So why should I ever water down what I'm saying to fit into a group that is a group full of people that I will never fit in with in any real way anyway? I've got friends. I've got plenty of friends. Some days I've got too many friends. But could you imagine what your life was like if you had 5,000 really close friends? Dude, no. So this is the funny shit. Like I struggle with this one so much because when I see all these people online, these quote unquote influencers and and the such, <laughs> that category of people that reply back. And, and I reply back within reason, especially on my private Facebook page. I, I try to reply back to everybody. 
depending on what that post is, of course. But now I've come to that point where I'm like, I probably can't reply back to everybody. I will probably come back once a week later or like, you know, two months later because I remembered someone said something on that one post. So I'll go back. But no one ever dings me for it because especially on my private Facebook group, I think there's a healthy sense of people already knowing that she does these things and she's probably just coming in there posting interacting for that moment and then she's off doing it something else right yeah. but doing the 5000 friends i've never wanted that i think one one thing i will say is that i always get begged for an extrovert that rubs me a little bit only because i'm like people immediately think i'm their best friend that's okay you can still come and share with me but i think the informality people get into very quickly with me is something that they don't understand there's a line over there right I'm not ever going to tell someone not to share something with me. Hell no, that's ridiculous. I'm on stages around the world and people actually wait at the end to have a chat. There's no way I'm going to treat anyone that way. But, and that's being friendly and respectful, I suppose, right? Like you just, you know, people, I, I remember I've been at conferences where I've been that person waiting for that person to get off the stage just to tell them really quick, I freaking loved what you did, right? right? And if someone is taking the time for me, I have to absolutely take the time to listen to them because you just never know what you might say that could help somebody, right? So for me, that's always going to be the intention. But to take that forward to a consistent thing, then I would look to make sure that that's a complete fit, whether it's from a client perspective or something like that. And or unless it was like a such, it was such an aha that like, we need to be in each other's world, dude. Like, let's, you know, and then you build from there. But there's no friendship of mine that requires me to be in communication with the person every day. I could not do that. I think no. that's what I've realized even more as I get older. <laughs> and, and my brother says this thing to me and he says, like, you know, you're antisocial. And he said this to me as a compliment because he, I, I almost took that as a negative thing. But he said, you do realize you're very antisocial, whereas like your world that you play in you come across as the most approachable person. And I'm like, I'm not any different. I'm actually not any different there or here. I'm, I, I don't fake anything. You know what I mean? But I am very selective when it comes to those bigger gatherings and families or some something that you just have to take, say yes as a formality. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm just a little extra careful there because I know that I will not be in my crowd. And therefore, I also know that because I will not be in my crowd, someone's going to say something that, you know, that small mindedness thing that you said, that's the shit that offends me for sure. Yeah. So when that happens to me, I bec- like, you know, someone will ask you, so why aren't you married yet? You know, like Indian, you know, the Indian culture, South Asian, and I'm in India at the moment too. So if they ask me something like that, and then they put, you know, these constructs around it. And I, I you know, I just go mum. Like, I don't even know what to say to these people. And then I'm just like, why did I come here? Yeah. Yeah. Again, I go back to numbers. Again, I can't handle that many people. I can't handle that many relationships. can't handle that many clients. So I get to be really, really selective. I, I don't ever go out of my way to offend people. Um, no. It may come across as that sometimes. but I think I've never just, felt that way. <laughs> I look for well, it. I'm like, I'm, in, you, I'm so entertained by it. <laughs> right. I mean, you haven't. And the people that I actually would allow into my inner circle and, and allow to take part of my energy, get it. They aren't offended by it. They think it's funny. It's, um, you know, I, I won't say I never go out to offend people. <laughs> so a small percentage where you're like, I should do this today. Yeah. I mean, it, it's a pretty small percentage. It really is. Otherwise I just, it just, it's stuff that I think is funny or clever or, you know, thought provoking or, or whatever. 
But if people don't get it, that's fine. And it, again, I'm not trying to offend people, but it's a, it's a really good, it's an effective way to kind of weasel out the people that don't really belong taking your energy or, or taking up your mind space or affecting your day-to-day in any way. If somebody comes into my circle, um, and again, my circle is pretty small. If they come into my circle and it becomes obvious that they're there because they think I'm, you know, this raving lunatic, they're not a fit. You know, if they come into my circle and they realize that the raving lunatic act is really an act, then they're good. They've made it past the, you know, the first door. And then they can go a little bit further and a little bit further and a little bit further. It's a filtering mechanism. And if people meet me in real life, and and I'm very much like you, I think people peg me very much as an extrovert based on the surface level of my content, Um, you know, my websites, my marketing, all that stuff. People meet me in real life. They're usually pretty surprised at how sedate I am. Mm -hmm. I'm not the guy that goes out and gets hammered and kicks over trash cans and jumps up on police cars and that sort of stuff. And I've danced on bar tables. So I've done that once. Yeah, <laughs> When I used to drink that. I, I, I had I Irish, plenty of that. Okay. You've done that. Great. I had an Irish yeah. bar, no less in New York city. <laughs> yeah. So I've done I, that. I, I mean, I, I do get up to some shit. I ain't going to lie. <laughs> I, I get a little bit crazy now and then, but you know, if, if you looked at the surface level of what I do and what I say and how I do things, people expect me to be this raving madman, but in real life, it's, you know, I'm a really nice guy who just likes to laugh a lot. And that may not be readily apparent to the masses, but to the people that, that I'm really aligned to the people that I really want to be with and work with and work around, they get it and they get it by default. And, you know, I've met several people from Facebook in, in real life and, and it's always a little bit of a, right before we meet, it's a little bit of a panic for me because I feel like, and there have been people that I've met that really felt let down because I wasn't the maniac. Oh, that's, oh, they were like, oh, you're not, you don't seem as fun or that crazy as your post or something. They're like, what's this disconnect? Wow. Yeah. Yeah. And it's not a phoniness. It's just, it's the parts of me that I choose to display to the outside world. And I think a lot of people just don't get it. I mean, a lot of people don't get Neelan. A lot of people don't get Landon Porter. A lot of people don't get, a lot of people don't get Jesus Christ. (laughs) There you go. So, you know, why would I expect that everybody in the world is going to get me based on you know, some ridiculous Facebook post. Thanks so much for stopping by Words and Voices with Neelam Tawar. We can't wait to see you again with another voice and more words from game changers, movers and shakers, and quiet visionaries creating a dent in the world. Oh, and please don't forget to comment and share what resonated with you here or on info at neelamtawar.com. Till we meet next, and as Neelam says, be good to you.